0: This ad is organised and funded by Sanofi's Together Against RSV campaign. You might be thinking, what is RSV Zoe? And I've just been learning all about it. So let me tell you, respiratory syncytial virus, easy for me to say, or RSV as it's more commonly known. Is a really common virus that causes infection in the lower part of the respiratory system in babies and children. In fact, 90% of all children by the time they reach two will unfortunately experience a respiratory virus. But the good news is that most RSV illnesses are mild and clear upon their own, but unfortunately, some cases can be more serious. Bronchitis and pneumonia are types of these infections that you might have heard of that are often caused by RSV. In fact, When Jessie was little, about eight months, she had quite severe bronchitis and I do wish I'd known more about it and how to manage it before it happened. So if you want to get yourself clued up on RSV, what it is, what can be done to prevent it and how to spot the signs and symptoms so that you can be better prepared with your children, then you can visit Sanofi's Together Against RSV website for further information www.togetheragainstrsv.com and there you'll find loads of helpful advice about infant RSV. Everyone, it's Zoe Blasky here, and welcome to Mother Kind, the show that's going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more community, confidence, clarity, and self-awareness. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful that you've pressed that little play button and you're here with me right now. It's December today. It is the first of December, and in our Mother Kind community, we officially call this the invisible labor. Olympics. As if us months aren't exhausted enough as we get to the end of the year, we now have the month of all months when we have to give so much emotionally, so much physically and so much in terms of the mental load that is December. I know many of you will be thinking about family dynamics You'll be thinking about school projects, school plays, nativity costumes. You'll be thinking about what the hell are we going to do for Christmas? If you haven't sorted out already with a thousand WhatsApps back and forth to the family, you'll be thinking about your own social lives. How on earth am I going to fit in seeing my friends on top of everything else that I have to do for the family? So because December is so full on and it is full on for me too, in December, I don't record any new podcasts. What we do is we give you the gift of re-releasing the ones that you have loved the most this past year. And today starts with Anna Mathers, And because December is so crazy, I am going to be over on Instagram every single day. Day this month, offering you support, tools, validation, inspiration, community, that sense of us all coming together every single day on Instagram through December. I've got some amazing lives lined up with brilliant guests who can help us. I've got some conversations with some of your most loved podcast guests over the past year to ask them how they handle the craziness of December Because I really want you to have the best December and Christmas yet. I want you to get off that treadmill. I want you to come back to your intention, come back to yourself, come back to calm, come back to ease and perspective. And I want to help you do that. So Zoe.Blasky over on Instagram and I will see you there every single day in December, holding each other's hands through this crazy month. This week's re released episode was originally recorded in June and it is about the cost of holding it all together. It is such a good one for us all to be hearing right now. Anna Martha is a psychotherapist. She's a mum of three. She is also an incredible person and a great support to me. I am very grateful that I have got Anna on my speed dial and in my life. She is just a font of knowledge, wisdom. She's also very funny, which you'll hear in this episode. I hope you really enjoy it. Do let us know. Here it is. Hello, my lovely. Welcome back to the podcast. This is your third time. And last time you're on, it was the middle of the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to hearing updates and what has been going on your side. Well, you were my first ever podcast that I recorded. Is that right? Yeah. First ever. And I came
1: to your house. So I popped Anna's podcast cherry. You (laughs) did. What a wonderful way to enter into the podcast world. And now look at you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I mean, I always love chatting with you, both on the mic and off the mic.
0: We were just chatting before. It's amazing. When you know someone, but you don't know them, you know, we only know each other professionally, really, you can just cut that small talk straight into the depth. Let's do that now. You know, last time we spoke was the middle of the pandemic. You spoke really openly and compassionately and bravely about your experience of burnout through that time. Tell us about that. How did you get through those pandemic years as well as writing two books? It's just mind blowing to me. I'm learning so much about myself now, actually, as
1: kind of, you know, normal-ish life is resuming in whatever way that looks like. And I don't know where I was in that burnout stage when I spoke to you, but I had, so about a year ago, last Easter, I had this massive burnout, like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Had I gone through that? No. No, I think we were talking about the kind of simmering burnout, weren't we, of like how on earth can we kind of keep this at bay and what feeds it and What in our stories kind of finds us pushing through and pushing through? Well, I pushed through and I pushed through and I broke into a million pieces. And it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before in my life. And it's kind of terrified me. But you know, when something scares you in a really good way, in a way that you think, I can never and I will do anything and everything so that I never go back to that place again. And I remember we had planned to go to Wales when my husband grew up. And it was, you know, the first break basically away from home, really, that we had planned. And my husband, you know, Tara would every now and again, he would say, what time should we leave? What time should we leave that day? Should we book a shop to arrive, you know, like an online shop? And every time he spoke about it, I got this kind of really intense wave of stress and panic in my body. So I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't talk about Going on holiday. Now, the kids were so excited. He was so excited. They were in the process of selling their family home. So, we didn't know if this was going to be the last time that we would be able to go there. So, the day crept up and I got more and more stressed, and we had to avoid the conversation altogether. And I just hoped that on the day we were due to leave, I would just deal with it, unpack, and do it. And he took the kids out so that I could do all of the, you know, just kind of the gathering together of all of the stuff and I couldn't do it. And I sat on the kitchen floor and I just cried and cried and cried. And I just remember shaking and thinking, I can't do it. And I I remember I'd packed a water bottle in a bag. So he came back, I think an hour and a half, two hours later, and I was on the floor and I'd packed a water bottle in a bag. And that was it. And I spoke to my mom on the phone and I was kind of in that, you know, that hyperventilating, crying, snot everywhere state. And she said, Anna, what if you just didn't go? It was like, it hadn't even occurred to me that that could be an option. But I was like, I couldn't not do that. Everyone wants this. How can I deprive them of that? And anyway, my husband came home and I sat down with him and I was like, I can't do it. So Amazingly, for some reason, I was expecting to put, have to put up a fight, but I think he knew. He knew. And I said, I don't even think I can sit in the car for four hours with the usual squabbles and the snap requests and the turning around and the digging around for the drop toy. I was done. There was no sensory space left for me. And I felt so incredibly guilty as we told the children and they cried. That we weren't going away because this was the day, you know, it was the day that had been kind of this countdown. And I remember I had to totally and utterly reframe the whole situation. And I thought, imagine if I spent a lot of money on a holiday for everyone, you know, and that was a decision that was that I took out an overdraft and I spent this overdraft on a holiday and we all went away and we all enjoyed it. Now that is my collective debt that we need to repay. And I started thinking, you know, I have spent the overdraft of my energy on trying to contain myself and the children and trying to keep life stable and okay as it can be in the pandemic. And I'm in debt. I'm in a massive red debt. So, I had to think that this is therefore a collective debt that we have to repay. It has to be a family thing and that's going to have a cost. There are things we're going to have to do without. There are things I'm going to have to say no to as a way of repaying this debt. But it was the most humbling physical experience. And I never knew that burnout could feel so physical. I could barely even be bothered to move my eyes at some points, The noise, even happy noises felt like knives. My body would just go into this stress response as soon as anybody asked anything of me, even getting a text message. From a friend or family member, just felt like a demand I had to reply to it, and it was yeah the most humbling, eye-opening experience, terrifying experience that had me having to reframe and reshape the way that I see the world because I never want to go back there again. So yeah, that's what happened after we (laughs) after we spoke. At some point, I can't remember the timing, but you know these things are a descent into, aren't they? They can feel like they
0: just suddenly happen, but actually, you know it doesn't happen overnight. I'm just in awe of your humility. I think your ability to just have that humility, you know, despite knowing what you know and, you know, what you talk about. And I think that is what gives people so much comfort is that none of us are immune from these. None of us are, particularly through the pandemic. And I think so many people are going to resonate with that experience of just being on the floor. And I know I had you know, micro moments like that. I was able to get myself back up, but just, I think so many people are going to resonate. You said, you know, it's a slow descent. What were some of those signs? Because I think for anyone listening who might be on that downward trajectory, what are some of the things to look for? And what do you wish looking back that you'd, taken more seriously or done differently?
1: Yeah. So I think it's that series of those micro moments that just keep coming and you keep picking yourself up and pushing on and not changing anything or respecting that actually those micro moments are like red flags there. And if you ignore them, then the micro moments just get closer and closer and closer together. And for me, it was like disinterest in connecting. It was feeling that any need coming towards me, even, you know, Taryn saying, should we do this or should we do that? Or, you know, what do you want to eat? Or do you want to go and take some time for yourself? You know, do you want to go for a walk or something? Or do you want to do a workout? And even that decision-making, it felt like really hard to make decisions. And that's one of the things and the irritation, that irritability, just really close to the surface and things would irritate me and noise. And it's like that sensory input of kind of movement and noise of which there is so much in my house would just start sensing a physical reaction to it and I think what I wish I'd have done differently now I think this is the challenge isn't it because I think in the pandemic there was less stuff that we could do so I think a lot of people have experienced burnout and it can be a combination I think it often is a combination of the fact that you are the kind of person you pick yourself up and you move on and you have high standards and you want to parent in a certain way that you're proud of and that takes a lot from you but you're not necessarily prioritizing the resourcing yourself. And that was hard. So I think some of it is circumstantial and some of it is quite habitual. And then the two together can be quite a molten mess that can lead you to that place. So what do I wish I'd prioritized? Taking those opportunities for rest, better boundaries around work. But it was hard because work was an escape for me. And work often is an escape. Home life is challenging and parenting is challenging. And, you know, I often feel that it's one of those spaces where you can be creative and you can put lots in, but you also get lots out. with parenting, you do get lots out, but it's different, isn't it? The feedback is different. The way it's, the way it's given, it's very different. Yeah, so I think those were some of the signs.
0: I just think, though, don't you think, you know, that time with schools closing and homeschooling and having to continue working, I mean, it's just... It's a miracle to me that all the mothers up and down the country weren't on that floor like you were, you know, and I suspect millions and millions were, you know, it's just unbelievable if you think about what us mothers held through that time. It's just unreal. And I wonder what the long term impact of that is going to be. And I think, you know, people can feel so
1: tentative with applying the word trauma to what we went through because we know that there is, you know, we start kind of grading things, don't we, as if, well, that person really went through trauma, they lost someone, that person was working on the front line, that person, so they deserve to use that label. Whereas actually, I think there is something kind of traumatic about the pushing through and the pushing through and the pushing through and saying, you know, how many times did we say to ourselves, I can't do this? And then we did it you know and we can praise ourselves and say you know we're stronger than we think we are yes we are but it has a cost every time we push through every time we push through the barrier of our own resources or we keep calm and carry on when everything in us just wants to scream and stop it has a cost just because we can do it doesn't mean that it's good for us you know it has a cost and that cost builds up i notice that even when my kids want to print something off Again, like I get this kind of rising response physically because it just reminds me of home learning. It reminds me of fighting with a printer. It reminds me of my laptop saying, can't identify printer. And I'm like, you are next, do the printer. It is. And I'm like pointing between the laptop and the, ah. and it's those moments, you know, those things that just whip you back. My kids' school want me to download their homework off the Google Classroom and I have never done it. Because I can't. I'm like, I don't want to. It's not somewhere I want to be logging onto. Can you just
0: print it out like the old fashioned? Yeah, put it in a folder, put it in the book bag. I think so many people are going to relate to that. I was lucky because Jessie wasn't, she was finishing nursery into reception. So I dodged a bit of a bullet. We had home learning to do, but I just thought I'm not doing it. She's reception. I was like, come on. No, we didn't do it. We didn't do it in the first one at all, no. But, you know, it's
1: those things that are reminiscent. And when we find ourselves having a physical reaction to that, it's so easy just to kind of ridicule ourselves in a way. And we do that kind of comparison ladder, stress and trauma and who actually has the right to feel. And I think this is one of the things that contributes to burnout and overwhelm is that we're just invalidating our own feelings. And we can use gratitude to do that, can't we? Like gratitude is the most incredible, powerful tool. It's changed my life, but it's also one of the things I sometimes use to beat myself around the bottom for feeling a feeling, which is a normal human response to a circumstance.
0: Yeah, I think that's, it's such an interesting tight rope to walk along isn't it feeling grateful for what we've got and yet at the same time being able to express as you say all the feelings the anger the rage and we have to be careful that we don't sort of go toxic positivity on ourselves and you know that's insanity. I actually managed to get to a place now where I'm grateful for the feelings. So I still use my gratitude practice but I'm like I'm grateful for this rage. This rage is telling me something. It means that I'm human. It means I'm alive. It means that I'm feel, you know, I can still sort of put that lens of presence on it. I no longer do that thing which is what you'll talk about so brilliantly of like you're not allowed to feel this. You're not allowed to think this, which is just Yeah. Isn't it mad? That's where we go. Well, whoever
1: gets to feel, like whoever gets to be sad, whoever gets to feel lost or overwhelmed, then is there like a pyramid and someone resides at the top of each feeling and they are the chosen one who is fully allowed to embody and respond to that feeling. But I was thinking the other day as I I had a really challenging day with the kids and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this again tomorrow. I've got to do this again tomorrow and it was that like oh my gosh it's you know and then I had the other feeling of gratitude of like wow I get to do this again it's hard but I have these children and they are precious and I love them and it's a privilege and because I lost my sister when she was six to cancer you know there's awareness that I have them and they are healthy and that is everything. So you're holding these two things in tandem. And it's so easy to be like, oh my gosh, Anna, stop moaning to yourself. Today was hard. Get over it. You're so lucky. But we need both. We need that response to the circumstances. It's human. We don't need to place too much kind of power on emotion. It's just a response. It's valid because you're feeling it and you're a person and you're valuable. But also that gratitude, you know, that just brings in that bigger picture thinking that has us feeling that joy or that grounding. And we need both because if we just were in our feelings all the time, we'd be all over the shop because they change so much. We'd feel overwhelmed. We might feel hopeless. We might feel kind of just stuck and lost. But if we were always just focusing on the gratitude, we'd be completely overlooking. Our humanness, the richness of experience. So, we need
0: both. We absolutely do. Someone said to me once, I think it must have been in a recovery meeting, which is where most of my wisdom comes from, <laughs> that the definition of maturity is being able to hold two opposite truths. Yeah. So, that's absolutely just so true and brilliant. And yeah, this is hard and I love it. I get to do this again tomorrow and I've got to do this again tomorrow. Like just holding those two truths. Both are true. I can feel both.
1: Yeah. You don't need to use one to kind of just completely destroy the
0: other. Exactly. So what's your recovery looked like from that burnout, from that floor moment? I have felt incredibly fragile. So
1: it's been a long journey. And again, it's this kind of complete education of the nervous system and how sensitive we can become. And when we've reached that burnout, it's that physical thing. It's like your skin's taken off. It's like everything happening around you is directly hitting you. It's like there is no buffer to the world. There is no buffer between reacting and responding. It was just pure reaction. And as someone who likes to and has to try quite hard to be like calm and parent in a way that is more conscious and considered and, you know, respond to people in a way that is kind of kind and compassionate, you know, having that buffer removed made that incredibly hard. And it was real challenge of identity. So the journey kind of onward from that. So how many, has it been a year or two years? I think maybe, maybe it's been two years. Yeah, two years from that point, I've had to respect myself. I've had to respect this journey of, it has been a recovery. So if I hit life too hard, then I may have a weekend where I'm, and I look at my app where I track my cycles and I just hope that I'm like two days away from my period so I can have a reason to pin this feeling on you know, that kind of that hormone, irritable, reactive feeling. And then I'm like devastated because I look at it and I'm like, I'm nowhere near there. It's obviously just that I've been doing too much and I've gone back touched on this state again, just a little bit. So, I think it's life-changing in the way that if you don't want to go back there, you have to change your life. You have to start respecting and prioritizing your needs. And that is hard. You know, that is hard. But I think we often overlook those small opportunities. So this morning I went for a walk for 10 minutes before my husband left at seven o'clock in the morning. And I've been getting up often at quarter to six really naturally and just using that time and thinking, I like that because I can go for a walk. And I know that that helps me. So I could have easily not gone for 10 minutes this morning or I could have gone for 10 minutes, listened to the birds and walked through the woods and come back to crazy breakfast time with the kids with something to give. So it's taking those little opportunities and not overlooking them and taking the big ones and dealing with the guilt that might come with that and doing it anyway. Yeah, it's really utterly transformed the way that I view and respect self-care. It's not cheesy to me. It's literally the way that I love my children and the way that I love my husband.
0: I totally and utterly agree. How's it changed how you run your business? Because from the outside, it looks like, you know, success after success, after growth, after growth. How's that factored in with the recovery? So
1: I spend a lot of my income on people. So I've got a wonderful Kate who works, I think, almost as much as I do. I think she probably does like two days a week on all the logistics and the admin side of it. And then I pay someone else to edit all my podcasts and I pay someone else to do all my website. So that's my resource because Your well-being is expensive. It's expensive as in it costs a lot to be okay. Now I'm talking, when I talk about cost, I'm talking about kind of that priority, those moments of space and rest and the logistics around that might be asking people to support you. It costs a lot in making those decisions around kind of nourishing yourself in whatever way that looks like. For me, it's the financial cost of to be able to do this job that I love. I need to spend a good chunk of my income on the people who can help me not be doing it all the time with every waking moment so
0: that's how I'm doing it is that I'm not on my own yeah I relate and I'm the same like I'm not very good at buying myself clothes or things like that I spend most of my money on help in the house as well I have a lot of help in the house and childcare help because that's what I need in order to continue doing this juggle it's a privilege for sure to be able to do that. It's a massive privilege.
1: It is a real privilege, but it enables me to enjoy doing what I do. It's the only way I can carry on doing it. I can't do everything. And I'm also much more confident with my no's because I know the cost of the yeses that I can't afford. So I don't feel guilty when I say no. I say it kindly, but often, yeah, there are a lot more no's now and I don't feel that same torment that I used to, like that people pleasing torment of like, oh, that opportunity might never come around again or what they're going to think. And, you know, I know the cost of the yeses that I cannot afford. And it is not a cost that
0: I can keep spending for the sake of so much. I've heard you talk about that before and it's just so powerful that our yeses have such a cost. And I think it's also really good to hear you talking about when you first start saying no and putting those boundaries down and recovering from that people pleasing, the feelings that can come up. I don't think we talk about that enough. Nicole Perra, who I know that you follow too, she talks about that a lot. And I find that so helpful that when you first start saying no, it's so uncomfortable. When I first started doing it, I'd backtrack because the discomfort of sitting in a boundary was like, ah, I just want to backtrack on this. And make it okay particularly if the other person comes back with something it's like oh so uncomfortable but i think for me it's just learning to sit in that discomfort i think that's where all growth comes from can i sit in this discomfort because if it's comfortable it's habitual and therefore i'm not changing yeah so
1: true so true and you start seeing where else you can spend the energy that you have regained or not spent or just preserve something of yourself so you're not in the red for doing that like we can do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that the repercussions are going to be good. There's always a cost.
0: Exactly. I love just the way that you use your words so visually. I've said that to you before. I just love it. I, you know, it's so powerful. And I want to talk to you about the new book and some of the metaphors in here. Where did the idea come from, the little bit of calm, the little book of calm for new mums? It was
1: literally, I was stood in the kitchen feeding the kids on like a Wednesday afternoon and it was like grey and they were tired and I was tired. And you know those moments where you just stand there and you're like, oh, this is so hard. I just felt depleted. And I was thinking like, which of my mates can I just send a little WhatsApp to, to get some kind of grounding words or just, you know, oh my gosh, yeah, same here. You know, that kind of like comforting connection. When you sometimes you feel quite alone as a mum, I think. I just wanted that connection and then I thought wouldn't it be amazing to have a book of words that are like that friend putting their hand on your shoulder or giving you that hug or sending you that message that you didn't have to read like from front to back but you could literally just pick it up and be like oh my gosh I'm feeling so irritable or I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling resentful or I'm feeling bored or lonely or I'm just having a wave of like missing my old life. So I literally that afternoon messaged my wonderful literary agent, I was like, I've got this idea. And then I literally started writing, I think, the next week because it was what I needed as a mum. It's all the words I wanted to hear, the words I'd want to say, if I could So that's what it is
0: really. It's a book of feelings and you just skip to them. It's amazing. And some of the (sighs) missing my old life, procrastinating, panicking, resentful. Which chapter do you find yourself going to the most? At the moment,
1: I think it would be loneliness. I think it would be loneliness. It's just funny because I'm always so surrounded by family and I've just got out of the habit of organising things with friends. And I'm really feeling that. Like this weekend, you know, it was another weekend. We did some great stuff with the kids. Like we're good at seeing family. I looked at the table on like the Saturday night and thought, man, we would normally pre-pandemic have said to like a mate or a neighbor, like come around for dinner or let's have a takeaway, let's play a ball game. And those moments of just relaxing, connecting with people, I just feel like have slipped out of our life. We've gotten out of the habit. Like I see lots of mums through school. And then it's also like over the last couple of years, loads of my friends that have babies have gone back to work. So, I used to know what days people worked. I used to know what their childcare, you know, their, how they week. were. Well, I used to see this friend on a Wednesday and the, I knew these girls were around on a Friday. And there was just more of a awareness of who I could connect with. But now I feel like, I don't know who's around. Everyone's probably busy. They're probably working. They're probably with the kids. So I'm not even going to bother asking. And I feel like I need to kind of just push through that. I see loneliness, I think, as a disconnection from ourselves and from others. So I feel like that's a good way to seek it.
0: Quick word from this week's sponsor, Athletic Greens. If you're a regular listener, then you will know that I've been taking AG1, the incredible supplement for well over a year now, and it has been a bit of a game changer for me in terms of my health and energy and it's just got a whole lot more serious because i can't actually believe i'm saying this i am currently training to do a marathon in april next year i set myself this fitness goal i wanted to be the fittest i have ever been in my life when i turned 40 and I turn 40 in May next year, so I am doing this marathon. The training is really hard, but I can absolutely feel the support that the AG1 supplement is giving me. It has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. And it is a massive part of making sure that I can take on this huge challenge while also doing everything else that I need to be doing because it keeps my energy so high. So whether you do have a physical challenge like me or maybe you're not that crazy and you just want more energy in your daily life and who doesn't, then I highly recommend you check out ag one To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, is go to athleticgreens.com slash motherkind. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash motherkind to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Back to the episode. One of my biggest survival tools, I call it, is isolation. It's my biggest one. One, probably, yeah, top two. (laughs) is isolation. The moment things get hard for me, I just want to hide and I literally will isolate myself. I can go weeks just doing the drop-off, seeing the guy, seeing the kid. If I'm not careful, I really can. I can ignore messages from my friends. It's huge for me. It's like a social anorexia that I go into. It's definitely an addiction and it's really, really hard because I don't notice it always when I'm going into it.
1: Yeah, it's that kind of slowly slipping into, isn't it? And I think it's hard when also isolation or solitude which for some reason solitude sounds more nourishing doesn't it than isolation has got kind of a it's something you you are put into whereas solitude is often something that we seek that is nourishing well I don't know they just sound different to me but solitude is like one of my coping mechanisms in a good way I need it but then also you can get too much of it
0: do you know what I mean it's like a spectrum isn't it I think solitude for me is like spending that time connected with myself. That's really positive. I think how I know that isolation and sometimes the like social anorexia side of me is that I do it to avoid. I'm doing it because there's something that I'm avoiding. And one way that I go there is I just want to hide. Whereas the solitude is definitely like a positive for me. And I think those words are interesting to think about, aren't they? Loneliness and solitude.
1: Yeah. And how... So many things and coping mechanisms are so socially acceptable, which kind of makes it harder, doesn't it? You know, having time on your own is really socially acceptable. So, when does it get to a point where your mates are like, hmm,
0: Zoe? Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah, are you okay? we're here. We're here. It's like workaholism isn't it? It's such a fine line between success and, you know, God, you just go on Instagram and there's hundreds of coaches telling you, you know, that you've got to be successful and grow. And, and yet workalism, I think, is the sort of hidden addiction of our Western world. I think it's massive. It's these lines, isn't it? It's these lines. And I think that comes from awareness, from self-awareness. And no one else can give you that awareness apart from yourself.
1: Yeah. And that's the hard thing, isn't it? I think we've been taught so much to look outside of ourselves to tell us how to be and we just, we then overlook or we become less sensitive to where those lines sit with inside of ourselves where we know that actually I've, I've verged now from solitude to kind of isolation or actually really thriving and enjoying my work to work holism, like where's the boundary? Because the one thing will be applauded.
0: How do you do that for yourself? Like what are your ways. You said you've learned so much about yourself in the last two years. How have you done that? Are you journaling? Are you having therapy? Are you group therapy? Are you in 12 step? Like what are you doing?
1: So I have therapy. I've had therapy. I think I re-engaged in therapy a few years ago, maybe three years ago after I had Florence and I was writing a book and she was a baby. And I wanted to really make sure that I was being accountable because I didn't want to kind of slip into ironically that kind of overwhelmed people pleasing perfectionism so it was kind of for accountability in anyone I've never stopped I've carried on because I'm like I need this I need kind of this ongoing accountability and exploration and so I have therapy I also listen to so much I go out on walks and I listen to podcasts and I listen to your podcast and all the wisdom that you bring and I love kind of happy place as well just these amazing wise thinkers that just come with a message, deliver it so warmly and powerfully. And you know you always go away with something that sits in you and it's that kind of dis-ease or discomfort or disturbing and in like the best of ways or like tools or equipping. And I think I learned so much and I often feel like really emotional when I listen to your podcast. And I know I've sent you voice notes in the past saying like, this is just such a privilege to be able to listen to these conversations for free that nurture and challenge and equip us. It's just incredible. So I learn so much from, you know, those conversations that you bring and the resources that are out there. So I read a lot of books. I think because I'm writing about this stuff all the time as well, it's just reaffirming. It's like constant therapy. (laughs) It becomes what comes out of you as well. And sometimes my boundaries are really good and then sometimes they slip and sometimes they don't need to be as rigid. So when I'm feeling burnt out, I'll often go for a period of not going on my email or Instagram between 9pm and 9am. And that's really good. But then actually, I found more recently that my usage just dropped anyway. So I don't need to hold that boundary quite so rigidly. So it's just being honest with yourself. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get that feeling like, oh, if I'm responding to an email when I'm doing the kids tea, it's that like internal, like, oh, I know that I'm doing something that a part of me is not happy about. And sometimes I'll look at my phone in the evening. I want to throw out the window, and I think that that, to me, is a sign that those boundaries have just become a bit blurred, and I need to hold myself a bit more accountable.
0: Yeah, it's like that nudge, isn't it? I did it. Was it two nights ago? I really wanted to watch the Will Young documentary because that's my lived experience of, you know, addiction in my family. And I, I really wanted to watch it and it got to 10 o'clock and I hadn't had a chance to, we we're trying to book a holiday, all this blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I hadn't got a chance to put it on. And for me, it's like that willful side of me is like, I want to do this. That's my like sort of addicty side, really, that this part of me that's like, I want to do this. The really wise part of me was like, Zoe, it's not the time to watch this it's bedtime, it's 10 o'clock, it's already too late. Anyway, the willful side of me won and I watched it. And then of course, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I finally got to sleep about midnight and then there was a storm. So at half, obviously, so it just gone midnight, just as I dropped off, Jesse woke up for two hours. And then the next morning was like, I, I just felt terrible all morning. And I was like, it's just so interesting to me. I don't beat myself up about it. I'm like, those nudges are there for me. Those nudges of like, isn't the right thing for you sometimes I just override them and then I get some information it's great blah blah but I'm like wow it's like that willful part of me that still wants to self-sabotage in that way can be really strong still I think it always will be it's like you I get those nudges I get those nudges put the phone down it's not the time you know we're trying to do too many things at once a voice will come through which will be like just one thing at a time Zoe Sometimes I listen, sometimes I don't.
1: (laughs) That's the best. I know, but at least it's there. And I think it gives you that choice in that moment, doesn't it? Of like, oh shut up, goody T shoes. I'm gonna watch the flipping Documentary and I don't care. You know, but at least that dialogue is there and that I have that dialogue as well. And it's a wonderful dialogue. I really like it because actually it's a caring one. It's a grown up one that knows what's good for me. It's a grown up one that is just trying to look out for me and look at the bigger picture, and I really appreciate it because in place of that there used to be this horrible one that would just be like, for goodness sake, Anna! like, what the heck is wrong with you? Why can't you just even go to bed? You know, you're going to be knackered tomorrow and you're going to be so angry and grumpy and you're going to be a terrible parent. And I'm grateful for that, for that nurturing motherly voice inside of me because I know what was there before. And when I listen to it, it's normally very right. But there is, you know, we've
0: all got this little rebellious child in us and that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes that part of me brings... So much fun and spontaneity. And yeah, as you say, I think, which is the theme of our conversation, it's like no one knows what's right for you apart from you. Like that line is for you, for you to discover and uncover. What are you still discovering and uncovering about yourself?
1: Ah, just, hmm, that's such a good question. I think there's so much in family that I'm still realizing is un- Touched and unhealed and unexplored, and that lives in my day to day. So, you know, obviously, there's so much going on at the moment, and with Bowl Babe and Deborah and her amazing kind of fundraising for cancer research. And I've been following that, I've been following her story over the last five years. And, you know, suddenly all of this stuff is coming up about those last days with my sister, you know, 26 years ago. And I just think there was so much that was undealt with. And when one of your coping mechanisms is perfectionism, you can just be so very believable that you're okay. And I think when everyone treats you like you're okay and everyone's relieved that you're okay, you believe that you're okay. And then you know there are little things along the ways over the years that just remind you how deceptive that was and quite how much got tucked away inside of it underneath that. So I'm thinking a lot about it. And I think it's not just because it's all, you know, it's very evident in the press. I think it's also because it's just touching on how would I have experienced that as a 10 year old, if I wasn't trying to do it so well and to be so easy around it all. And what must that have felt like? Because I can barely remember in some ways. Yeah. I remember being at the funeral thinking I, I should cry because everyone will think I didn't love her if I didn't cry. But then I just almost didn't know how to, because my response was just to be neat. And to me crying, you know, I didn't want anyone to worry about me. So at the same time, I didn't want people to worry, think anything of me that I wasn't crying. But I also didn't want anyone to worry about me if I was to cry. So it's just all these things, you know, just that kind of pop up and you think, wow, that was a heck of a lot to go through. That's a heck of a Big story to be woven through my life that would have shaped me in ways that I'll never fully understand, maybe. So I think that feels quite present at the moment. The fragility of life, I'm finding different situations coming up with friends and friends of friends where there are some really hard and scary and sad things happening. And I find it really hard to stand on that balance between fear and presence and being present out of fear. Because I think that's what I end up doing is I end up being wanting to be so present because I'm so scared. And is that presence when there's so much fear? I don't know. And I think maybe presence without faith is fear. You know, it's just that faith of like, this is the moment. This is where I am. You know, I'm vulnerable. But on the flip side of that is love, like love and vulnerability. You're just two sides of the same coin. And I find that really scary. But that's just life. And you want to love but then you have more risk. It's what makes life rich. Is also
0: what makes life risky. Again, that's one of those huge contradictions which we have to hold. It's like, yeah, if I don't love, I don't have that risk. And thank you for sharing about your sister. I actually got goosebumps as you started sharing and I found that really emotional because I was imagining 10-year-old little Anna just keeping very neat. And you know what I think? as I've gone through this sort of healing, I guess you would call it path of unpacking and peeling the layers is that the things come up right on time as I'm resourced enough to look more deeply at them. And I'm just blown away by my brain's ability to, you know, I love denial. Denial has saved me. It's enabled me to keep going. And then when I don't understand it, I guess it's when my nervous system or when something knows that I'm ready to look at something, the denial just starts like to scratch away, you know, like almost like a scratch card. And I'm incredibly grateful for those moments when I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's another. I was just sharing one with you actually before we started recording a new memory I had this morning, a new realization. It's like, wow, it just keeps going. It keeps going, the deepening, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like you can untether things a little bit. And
1: then other things start becoming unstuck that you never realize were tied to that. Like, and I sometimes think of like a hot air balloon and, you know, they're kind of the ropes that hold it down. And sometimes it's just like, you just start soaring away at one and then you see it kind of move and jerk and, and then, yeah, let's go. And there's freedom in that, but it's not easy, is it? It's not nice to look at ourselves sometimes in those dark corners and just go into them and think, actually, there's some tidying up here to be done, but then I can look at that corner without, I don't know, it's just clearer. And we can move into that space and we can live in that space and we just, yeah, embody ourselves a little bit more each time.
0: It mm, gets more expansive, doesn't it? I used to be so small and, yeah, as you create more spaciousness by looking at the harder stuff, when it's right on time with the right support, it does get more spacious and expansive and bandwidth and all those lovely words. Such good words, such good words. So what are you feeling really excited about? The book's coming out. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that. And I
1: think for the first time, so this is the third book that I've had out, the first one, I cried all day and not happy tears. It was horrible. And I remember coming downstairs and Tara and my husband and the three kids decorated the table and like got flowers. And you know, this was like deep in lockdown. And all of my publicity stuff was online and you know everything was all zoom and this and that screens and and i just remember crying because i didn't feel how i expected to feel i expected to feel really great really proud and i just felt like myself <laughs> and i wanted to feel different and i wanted to feel better but i didn't and it was just like this massive anticlimax of oh i'm still the same I've just written a book, (laughs) but I'd known about that for a year anyway, and now it's just out. And so the second one was a bit more, I guess I can enjoy it a little bit more. I didn't put the same pressure on it. Whereas this one, I do feel proud. I already feel proud and I'm excited for people to have it. I know that it's not going to make me feel like a better person. It's not going to take away any of my, my kind of insecurities. But I think that first one, it was like peeling off that layer and realizing that, man, I'm still looking for that. Approval. I'm still looking for that nod. I'm still hungering for that. And that was hard to see, especially when I write so much about self esteem.
0: You know, you just realize there's another layer. Oh, thank you for sharing that because I think Glennon Doyle said to me when I asked her about this exact thing, she said, There is no there, there. She said, Oprah called me. She goes, I felt no different. She's like, We think that we're going to get these things and then it's going to finally make us feel. She's like, It's an inside job. And some ways I find that really reassuring as an inside job. In other words, it's really annoying. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could just get these things on the outside and it would fix us? Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be great. And I think one of the
1: most pertinent things I ever heard on this was Robbie Williams talking about how he reached the mountaintop of his kind of musical career and sold the most tickets. And then he said, I still wanted to kill myself because he was feeling so suicidal and depressed. And he thought, wow. You were on a mountaintop of what the world said was success and the adoration and the sellout tickets and you still felt utterly hopeless. So it just, you know, it's that reminder that we have to affirm ourselves along the way. We have to accept ourselves along the way because nothing is going to happen that is going to do that for us.
0: It's an inside job. Sometimes I go there, I think, oh, I do the when then game. When I have this, then I'll feel. When I have this, then I feel. And I have to really catch myself like, Zoe. I remember the day I gunned for a first at uni. I was like, I don't know why. I just decided I'm going to get a first. I did economics. I'm numerically dyslexic. I don't even know how I did it. And I got a first. And I remember it was one of the hardest days of my life because I stood there looking at that result and I realized shit. I feel no different. I feel the same. And I was like, God, so if this doesn't work, this whole attaining stuff to change how I feel, what does work? That's one of the you know, one of the many reasons that set me off on the path of, you know, looking more deeply at myself. And yet we're so sold. Well, that's what we're encouraged to. It's like the dangled carrot. Keep
1: going, keep pushing, keep working, keep wanting, keep spending. So that then you'll get the feeling, and the feeling never comes or it never lasts or it has a high cost that kind of outweighs the benefit or yeah it's really determining what is your why you know what is the why what is your why my why is to equip people with the tools that help me in the hopes that they will raise the bar for their own men, like mental and emotional well-being because i think you know as mums so often our bar is so high for our parenting and then it is often so low for our mental and emotional well-being and it's like the one needs to come down and the other needs to go up. And I just hate that through my story, that is what people can find some compassion. I think that's it. I want people to find compassion for themselves because finding it for myself is changing. I say changing because it's always going to have to be a thing because my default is not compassion. It's changed everything for me. So you kind of just want to pass it on in whatever way you can. So I think that's it.
0: Yeah. It's beautiful. And you do it. You do it so brilliantly I know I've told you there's so many so many times but I think you are such a gifted communicator and I'm so grateful for you and you know what you bring to the world no I feel the same I feel the same but what would you say your why is oh I think I'm still figuring that out I really think I am I think for me you know my journey has been one of you know really generational really generational and I think I haven't quite stepped into that place yet I feel a lot of imposter around speaking about that and yeah that's what I want to step into more and more I really really want to help families and parents and mothers in particular with changing that cycle breaking that cycle how do we do that because I think when we become parents and mothers all that stuff comes up to the surface I know that to be true but then it's like what do we do with it I feel like you
1: do that so much already. So if you're wanting to step into that, you're already doing, you're stepping. Maybe you're seeing the further down the line that you'd love to to know, see that kind of outworking. But I think the awareness that you bring is so powerful because as soon as we start realizing that there is more for us, as soon as we start wanting that and being given the tools which you you know, you bring us so many tools so many tools through the words and the conversations that you facilitate but that just disturbs that kind of like that generational rhythm because we're like what what maybe there is another way maybe there is another way for me and then how can that not change for the next generation because as we change our kids are experiencing difference so they will go on to
0: do different exactly I think that's where my absolute passion and why is. But like you say, I'm stepping. I need to not shame myself. I can, I can so think you're not confident in it, in it yet. Well, hang on, because it's an ever-evolving journey and learning, isn't it? So thank you for reminding me to recognize that. So I always ask the same question at the end, which you've answered twice before, but I know you'll give a different answer this time, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why?
1: Mm, I think I want to go with the one about guilt. Never let guilt go unaddressed. Never let guilt go unaddressed because guilt will shame you. It will tell you you're a failure. It will tell you that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. It will tell you you're not worthy of rest. It will tell you you're not worthy of love. It will make out that there's a wrong that you've done that you need to put right. So never let it go unaddressed. And I've got a three little tip thing that I do for this. So A C T, address what you're feeling guilty about. I'm feeling guilty because my kids have too much green time today. Okay, C, compassion. How can we pour compassion into that? Cause everyone is deserving of compassion. It might be that you've got so much going on. Like that was the only opportunity for rest that you all had today. T, tweak. If guilt is there to prompt you, not shame you, what might it prompt you to do? So maybe it might be right, you're going to put time limit on, then you're going to go and like interact and have a cuddle and read them a story. So you're doing something off the back of it and then you've got to let it go because otherwise it's just going to shame you and make you feel like a bad person. So the gift would be to never let guilt go unaddressed.
0: Mm, So powerful and I love that act. Oh, thank you, my lovely. It's just such a joy. I just wish you could be the guest every week. (laughs) We We could just unpack this stuff. Thank you so much, Zoe,
1: for all the conversations you bring and for the absolute privilege of being a part of that
0: oh you're welcome lots of love so that was the episode I hope that you really enjoyed it as ever if you did please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes it really does make a difference to the number of months that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on